This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From the southernmost point of door to the lands of always winter, what is west of Westeros and the shadows in the east, this is Casterly Talk, episode 100, and we are back on our rewatch horse, riding around the world of ice and fire. Welcome to the show. You might be listening, you might be watching on YouTube, on the Casterly Talk YouTube channel. It's new, it's brand new. Subscribe. Even if you listen to the podcast first, head over, subscribe, uh, probably eventually soon. Probably eventually soon. That's a commitment. We'll be putting on a special programming there on the YouTube channel. We might go live, all those kind of things. But the podcast side is where this all began. And we are part of two networks, the Good People Association, Josh, Mark, and the gang, and me, uh, Ken Napsock. And, of course, we are presented and part of the Blue Wire podcast, uh, company, home Clan, house, whatever you want to say. Hey, everybody, Ken Epsog with you. And we are, uh, I'm, I'm excited. I'm downright excited about this one here. We are getting back to where we last left off. We're picking up right, we're not starting over. It's like it's like we never left. Cashly Talk Course took a, a little bit of a break as we did a transition from an independent podcast to a, still an independent podcast with Help from two great companies, Good People Association and Blue Wire, like I said. So a couple months off. We were back last week with a news catch-up. And whenever there's bigger news, breaking news, you guarantee, you can be guaranteed and you can take it to the bank. We will have a little news breakdown here. More of those on the way. Guests coming in. Don't worry. Don't worry. I got other voices here. I love other people's opinions, other people's thoughts on these episodes as we break them down. We're just getting uh, back up and running, but you know the score. If you've been a listener, uh, that's kind of where we've been for a bit here. We are going right to Season 3, Episode 2, the 22nd episode overall for the show, and it is Dark Wings, Dark Words. Before we dive in, a couple things about these uh, uh, rewatch reviews. I like to approach these shows by analyzing any themes presented, any ideas presented, what's going on, uh, not just uh, behind the dialogue, behind the scenes, but behind the characters, uh, where the creators are at. We just analyze it from that 
uh, point. I love engaging with the show on that level uh, because I think when you do that, you start to find all the bricks that are put in place as the show builds forward, as the show tries to tell its own story. And that's big for me. Uh, I love the books, but I do think the show and the, and the books are, are in the same world. And uh, I, I actually think you almost eventually we'll see we'll see how inspired George is by by the show, but the show is inspired uh, by by the books without a doubt. But I don't I don't look at it, and I I, I should say I no longer look at this as a an adaptation. I just think it's it's a it's a retelling of the story uh, of a world we're all familiar with. But the show was trying to do its own things by playing with the characters and the themes that are present in George's work. That's absolutely what's going on. It is, it is a, you are inter interweaving all the things at play, but the show, because it's a show, because it's a different medium was trying to do something different. And I think by focusing on the, the themes presented and I always joke, Benioff and Weiss themselves say, I think it's more Benioff than Weiss, so, yeah, themes are for eighth grade book reports, but bollocks, I say, the themes are presented. The stories that they, they, they told episode by episode are are telling us something. And if you just dig in, you can find, I think, a lot of just um, rewarding, uh, rewarding moments, even more rewarding moments as you start to see what's at play in these episodes and what they all really mean. That's my rambling preface for anyone who might be joining the show now. This isn't necessarily a plot. Uh, this isn't uh, uh, looking back at what theories did or did not uh, work out, and that will come up from time to time. But I think you'll often find that some of those big plot expectations, plot desires, uh, and those theories that we all had, myself included, I think you'll find that they, they were too far-reaching for the show. They just, they just were. They just were. Were the show was using these characters in a different way to tell a story to build towards their own version of this story, and the theories and the plots are fun, but they were never going to be driving the show as much as the big uh, the big whys. And I think I think stories in general want us to ask why before how or what uh, are just basic plot stuff there. But that's just my opinion, and and, and that's another thing too. You are listening to me, one person. Other people will be coming on the show. Other people have been on the show as well. But this is my thoughts. This is my uh, looking back at the show, this world that I love so much. So if you're relatively new, that's what's going on here. There's other great channels that I always watch us all dance around in this world. History of Westeros, great podcast. All Shift X, all those kind of podcasts. There's YouTube channels. There's a lot of places to go to get the theories, to get what uh, the history and the lore, what they mean, because I'm there for all that too. But I love focusing on uh, just theme by theme and scene by scene what is there in the story. Another thing too, if you are doing a watch along and you had never you know watched the show before and you're watching it for the first time just beware when i'm discussing this stuff this is a spoiler zone i might sometimes uh, refer to events that are forthcoming or foreshadowing and uh you know i don't want you to get spoiled if that's uh that's going on. So just uh, be wary and be careful. All right. I've wasted too much of your time up top. As I said, season three, episode two, Dark Wings, Dark Words, original air date, April 7, 2013. The director was Daniel Minihan, who was uh, one of the more prominent directors early on in the show. And then uh, he didn't direct later on. And, and so I think his name sometimes is forgotten. He did a lot of great episodes and a lot of good, quiet, more intimate character work. The writer for this episode is Vanessa Taylor, and she did a wonderful job, wonderful job. I love, love seeing her uh, 
uh, here uh, and representing a female voice in the writer's room. Cinematographer was Jonathan, Jonathan Freeman and editor Francis Parker. Overall, we are coming off a season three, episode one that set up what a lot of the characters really need, as you'd want with an episode one of every season. Uh, the pieces are on the board. But that episode really dealt with what, 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 what you really need. What do you really want? Uh, you might want something, but what do you need? There's surface-level needs. Danny needs an army, but w- what is going beyond that? John wants to be a hero, but what does he really need to do? And all those kind of things. I think this episode builds off that a lot. This is almost a second episode one, and and not all the memory, not all the season, uh, not all the episode twos of of all the seasons are in my brain right now. But I think more than any other season that I remember, this one really is a, is a is a two part episode one in my book. We we got a lot of new players on the on the board, a lot of new names, a lot of new actors showing up here in these first two episodes, but especially this one, Queen of Thorns, the Reeds. Brotherhood Without Banners, we got a lot of new players and mix in with our old favorites, even more than season two. So that's why this episode kind of works that way. And then we're, again, we're building off the, hey, what do you really need? And uh, going into a bigger theme here to talk about in a second. I think it's easy to overlook this particular episode. And, and a season overall that for myself, season three sometimes just slips my mind. I, 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 I don't love ranking these episodes, uh, ranking these seasons, I should say. But uh, season three sometimes falls down the chart for me for, for no real solid reason. This is this some great Danny stuff. Season three is really about Danny for me. Uh, we're, got, uh, two, we're two episodes away from one of her great moments, the Dracarys moment, all that's coming. And uh, so that's why I do love this season. The, the Danny stuff is great. Uh, John stuff's great. The, the introduction of Queen of Thorns is memorable. But sometimes this season, especially as time rolls on, it just kind of slips on my mind. And this particular episode, I may, even when I sat down to watch it before uh, turning on the cameras here and the microphones, I was like, ah, oh, yeah, season three, season three, episode two. I don't know. I, I you know, kind of a kind of a setup episode, you know. And and damn it, man, don't don't overlook it. Don't do what I even did today. Don't overlook this episode. There's some wonderful stuff setting up uh, things going forward here. All right. Let's dive into what I think the big kind of theme, the big kind of idea in this episode. And if you're afraid of that word themes, I'm looking at you, Benioff. It's just the ideas. The ideas at play. It's not the only thing in this episode. Every episode has a ton going on in Game of Thrones. Big questions, moral questions, plot all those kind of things. But I really love just pulling out what's presented in these episodes. And this one, for me, again, we're building off, hey, what do the characters really need in episode one? Now we got, who who are you really? Who are you really? Who you really are? How are you going to phrase it? Really, man, who are you? And that keeps coming up all the way through this episode and is big. It is about characters maybe not knowing who they really are or maybe they know who they really are and they're trying to be something else or they're trying to live up to what they think they should really be. And then, of course, a couple characters as we get to the end are just trying to hide who they really are in name above all else and that ends up being a big problem. So who you really are is a big idea in this episode. It begins right, right from the top, with Bran, who is who is haunted by dreams of of um, you know. You got his brothers there. He hears his father. It's a replay of the season one uh, episode one moments with him, 
right before it all goes to hell, right? Those quaint, uh, those quaint uh, early moments of season one when it's all happy. The last time it will be happy. Uh, but um, Brand is, is not just reliving those moments. And I think if you, you watch this, you can, you can probably think that, hey, he's just having some flashbacks and memories. He's missing home, which, which he is. But I take this as he, the, the, the crow, the three-eyed crow is there showing him what he was and who he was. And it's, it's haunting him because I think his natural instinct is to get back to that. He, he, he knows they're on the run. They got to get some more. But he's not yet the brand that's like, we got to get north of the wall. He doesn't quite know who he really is. But someone who does is about to show up. And that, of course, is Jojen Reed, who first appears to us in the stream. And he says quite plainly, quite plainly, quite clearly to Bran as he's trying to process the dream, you can't kill it, you know. Why not, Bran asks. Because the raven is you. The three-eyed raven, three-eyed crow in the book, sometimes I might refer to that, uh, is, uh, is him. Now, that, that means almost nothing to us at this point. It's it's mumbo jumbo. It's 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 uh, you know woo wooey uh, kind of uh, kind of uh, magic, right? It, it it just and Jojen, you know, you meet him. He he seems to be a little off. Yeah, there's something there's something at play with Jojen, but Jojen's just stating a big thing right here, right now. We'll come to something a little bit later as, as they kind of dive in when they actually actually meet. There's a, an important thing he says there. But this episode starts with that question. That's who you were. You might want to stay there, but you're haunted by that. And, and you got to go forward and you got to discover who you really are. And often the answers are right in front of you. Uh, who you really are uh, is, is, is uh, you know, it's a powerful question to ask yourself. And again, it goes in many different directions. And, and it's something you probably want to ask the people around you. You got Talisa. We jump into with Talisa and Rob. And uh, she is being faced with what she was told the North uh, and, and, and Westerosis were, particularly the Northerners. My, mother's always, my mother always told me, you Northerners are a grim lot. But she's been seeing who Rob really is. She's starting to learn. But she's, uh, you know, a, a foreigner in this land and maybe has a different perspective of, of uh, who, who everyone uh, really is out there and she'll have some great moments with Catelyn coming off. So even right then, we're getting right into it. And, and Rob's got this pressure. I think he's Starting to feel, uh, despite all the victories, he's already uh, scrambling, already starting to lose. It's already this is we're we're picking up we're picking up with him, and it's not celebrations, right? It's it's already a mess. The stuff that's going on with his mother at the end of season two, uh, Jamie and Brienne on the run. Uh, I, I think Rob is dealing with some of those kind of things, even outside the bounds of this big idea and this big theme. But Talisa's there questioning, uh, you know, uh, what she was taught about who she really is now that she's seeing it. Uh, from there, we jump into this, uh, the theme keeps going with Theon, a prisoner, and we don't know where he really is. We uh, we meet Ramsay. We don't know who Ramsay really is. And I, I love this stuff and, and, and getting outside the theme discussion here. Uh, I... Uh, I, 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 the Theon stuff at times is hard to watch, even just the, the basic torture stuff. Uh, you know, phantom pain. So, you know, he start, you start to sympathize. Uh, but uh, it, it, the show had to do this in a different way than the books. There's just no way. The, the, the uh, where Theon was, the reek of it all, was something that could play out entirely different in the books. And it plays out 
wonderfully in the books. But here we are. We, we've, we've got Alfie Allen's, Allen's face right on the screen. So we know who Alfie Allen, Alfie Allen really is. No questions there. So I think the focus has got to be, it got to be twist a little bit. It's not us asking who, who is this? Who, who really is this person that's being tortured? Who's this re- cat, uh, cat that we're about to learn in, in, in chapter after chapter and book after book? Uh, it's the other way around. We know who Theon really is, but does he know who he really is and who he really is to these people and who they are to them? And it's a painful, uh, sorry, Theon, no pun intended. It's a painful lesson there. So that's that play. Also a place, this idea that uh, we had Jamie and Bran, the, the great stuff going on, uh, uh, the, the journey. And this is, this is um, the journey. It's so funny, too, because we're in uh, – their journey started at the end of last season, uh, this we know. But there's sometime in my, sometimes in my mind, I think the, the Bran and Jamie journey across the land happened, like took three seasons. It, it really didn't. We're, we're moving along fast already. We don't spend a ton of time with them as, as maybe, you know, memory would lead you to believe. But this episode some of the more solid stuff. And I, I think this idea of, of who you really are goes so many different directions with the both of them here. Is is Jamie really this proud, vain knight that he kind of is still kind of saying his insults to Brienne, they're biting, they're horrible, they're cutting, and Brienne's got to rise above him. But it's clearly a weapon. It's clearly maybe even less of a weapon, more of a shield from Jamie. And his reconstruction has begun, right? We know this now. We have this benefit. But it's interesting to go back here, just kind of see him putting up this face, this this brave face, this, this uh, vain knight face. But he's starting... To admit, he's breaking down. I said, I call it a reconstruction, but he is uh, about, there's a series of events that are starting to happen in this season that are going to completely break him down uh, and and take him from that season one uh, Disney prince villain type of character into something way more real. It's, It's already begun. We had some great scenes with him and Catelyn in the prisons in season two. But now him out and about in the land, it's just some of the more fascinating stuff. And when I talk about overlooking season three, this is some of the stuff, particularly in this episode, that I I have to call myself out here for kind of overlooking the great character work of Vanessa Taylor's script really highlights this. Jamie is starting to admit who he really is, going back to that theme question. And and it, it's a man who loves his sister, who, as we might say, for the story, it's key. And he wants to get back to her. And he wants to do everything he can to survive and get back to her. And that's something that is going to be, obviously, pretty important for him going forward. And that is who he really is. And once he faces that, I, I don't think, even though he's going to become a better person, he's going to make choices a little bit different from that season one Jamie. Uh, each season, he gets a little, um, the choices get a little bigger and bolder. And, and by uh, by even season eight, I, th- I think he is... Uh, He's a much better person for it all. But at the end of the day, who he really is, the, the question starts to get answered by himself, I think, even in this episode. Uh, great exchange. Great exchange be, between him and Brienne. And, and, and I don't want to overlook the Brienne stuff. There's this wonderful character, obviously, here. I, I don't want to turn just the focus just on to Jamie Lannister. But, uh, he, you know, with his insults of her and everything, she's, she's a little on the defensive, and I think she has a view of who Jamie is, and that started to change. And later on, as, as the episode ends, she maybe gets some answers of who Jamie really is in this moment. And she's going to learn later on a little bit more about his true character. 
but right here, it, it's all there. And this uh, great exchange where she he's kind of talking about uh, uh, her and asking, you know, asking her who she is, who, who really is Brienne, how'd she come into Catelyn's service, what was her relationship to Renly. I think, I think Jamie wants to know who she really is as well. She's this tall... You know, bruiser of a of a of a lady night. That's all he sees. That's all he thinks. That's why he's insulting her. That's why he's cutting her down. And and Bran gets has, has to deal with some horrible insults all through the show, but particularly season two, going into this stuff in season three. So where Jamie's asking these questions about who uh, she really is, and and she's got to decide or maybe got to figure out who she really is outside of her own walls. Not just necessarily the walls on Tarth and growing up, but she's been behind Renly's walls. She now is uh, under the service to Catelyn. She doesn't serve the Starks. I don't serve the Lannisters. She serves Catelyn. So she has all these kind of, uh, it's armor around her. And I don't want to say protection, but now she's out and about. She's literally out and about. She has to figure out who she really is and some of the choices she makes while trying to be who she thinks she should be out here, uh, why she sticks to her moral co- code, which is strong and is something she always does do. She takes those oaths seriously. That is something that drives her. It's driving her right here, right now. Those aren't, those. that's not bad. That doesn't need to go away. But Brand's really starting to see the world. I, I think I jump ahead from this moment with her and Jamie and, and uh, with the, the farmer that they run into uh, right here in this sequence. I take this moment and I, I jump ahead to the hound kind of telling her at the end of what is it, season four, right before their big fight of just like, you know, basically paraphrasing the hounds just telling her like, I know what the world really is, something that's big with the hound. And I'm the one protecting Arya. You can't do it. You can't protect Sansa. You can't protect Arya. You can't do it. You don't really know uh, this world. You don't really know who this world really is. I do. And I jump to that scene. And I think Bran has to learn these painful lessons along the way as she starts to become more comfortable with who she really is too, which is a tremendously powerful, strong, wonderful fighter and a true knight. I think she wants to be that. But she um, feels as though she can't, but she has to get those steps because society's telling her she can't. Everyone around her's telling her she can't. Everyone's insulting her. Even this farmer, he runs into them. Ah, no offense, my lady, but no one want to mess with you. Uh, so a lot of that is is uh, what she's dealing with right here in this moment. But I, I love going back to, to Jamie, the uh, ex- exchange uh, between them where um, uh, he's talking about Renly and, you know, what who Renly might have been interested in, uh, talking about Loris, and, and Brienne shoots it down. I'm not interested in foul rumors, which is the state of the society at this time. Uh, that they, they, of course, uh, Loris and Renly aren't free to be who they really are themselves, uh, and, and she's not interested in foul rumors. And then Jamie points out, so well, remember, again, the reconstruction of Jamie has begun. That season one Jamie so in the rearview mirror, and there's some great stuff as he's trying to, you know, go toe to toe with Ned, not just in the street with a sword fight, but but with uh, with wit and insults early on, especially up at Winterfell. I think a lot of that stuff. And I go to this moment where uh, J- Brienne again says, "I'm not interested in foul rumors," and Jamie shoots back, "Unless they're about me, unless they're about me." And Jamie is really bitter about that. And we start to see them come together over that as they can start being who they really are. She's mad. She's upset. And she, and she knows he's right. She loved Renly, and she knew that Renly was not going to reciprocate that love, not what he was looking for, not what he was interested in, not who Renly really was. So she's upset about that. And this moment where Jamie says very 
sweetly, sincerely, and, and painfully. We don't get to choose who we love. That goes back to this idea of him starting to really say, no, you want to know who I really am? I'm, I'm, I'm a man who loves his sister, that wants to be with his sister. Again, his choice, their decision, but that's who he really is, and it's going to be something very important for him later on. Uh, this whole sequence ends with the question of who really uh, is Jamie to everyone else. He's still that. He still carries that name. It's very clear the farmer recognizes him. Very clear. We got foreshadowing within this own ep- this, this episode, and he's not wrong uh, to tell Brienne, you know, she says, hey, he's an innocent man, more innocent than uh, the Stark girls, which is your big oath, your big mission, your reason. You're protecting me to get me down to King's Landing in exchange for them. Is that farmer's life more valuable than theirs? It's a question Brienne has to ask. I think the moral... Uh, the right moral decision is, no, it's equal lives here. Uh, but uh, this is kind of a land of you got to do what you got to do. And Brian's going to learn that a little bit later on. Oh, I'm so excited. The Jamie stuff, it just, it just, it caught me by surprise. And not to just uh, discuss these themes like we're in a class here. Let me, let me insert some of my uh, personal experiences with, with this. How Jamie slowly changes, becomes more comfortable, I guess, in a way of who she, who he is, man, it just, it, it really is one of the more effective changes. Yeah. I think we all can agree. This is one of the big things that when you're talking about the appeal of George R. R. Martin's world and the appeal of the shades of gray he plays in, you know, Jon Snow doesn't change much in that regard. He goes through great changes. His worldview changes. His purpose changes. Uh, we learned a lot about what he really needs to be. He wants to be a hero, but Mance is giving him the value of advice of who uh, who you really should be and who Mance really is. And, and there's some more Mance confirmations coming in this episode. He goes through that change. And Danny goes through hers. But I think Jamie's one of the more compelling changes that people love, which is why going to the end... Season 8, we're not there yet, can't wait to discuss Season 8, but to get to Season 8, and the big decision Jamie makes is frustrating. It is painful. It does feel like uh, 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 he's backsliding. It absolutely does. It's not a decision I would have wanted him to make. The relationship with Cersei, among other things, it's just toxic. It's not some, uh, even if it was okay with the sibling thing, I'd still be like, buddy, Jamie, maybe not the best one. Maybe you need to move on. Or maybe you both need to go to therapy and and grow together. But if you go back to this episode, I'm not going to say this particular episode makes season eight um, not surprising and not frustrating. And again, it's these two characters. Their relationship really is picking up steam in this episode. But look at this episode and go to the end. Jamie is just saying who he is to her. He's admitting it. We have not really heard him admit this too much other than uh, some moments with Catelyn Stark, right? But this is pretty big. He doesn't know Brienne. He at least knows Catelyn Stark. He at least knows she knows the game, knows what's at risk, knows what's going on. Brienne, he doesn't know much about. That's why he's asking all these questions. And that's why he pushes back. Yeah, you don't want to believe those rumors about Renly. But man, you're ready to believe the ones about me. Well, let me tell you something. Just like Renly's rumors, mine are true too, because that's who I really am. And that's who Renly really was. And you who loved Renly, that's who you really were. It's fascinating stuff for me. Uh, and, and this leads to this uh, big lesson for Brienne that's coming to the end of the episode. 
Little scene here with uh, Joffrey and uh, you know Jack Leeson doing the Lord's work. Season three, some prime Joffrey. Like season two, the uh, you know Battle of Blackwater Bay. We're already we're kind of frustrated. We don't like we don't like we don't like Joffrey from season one, episode one. That I get. But I think season three, Joffrey really starts to uh, go into darker territory. He is um, he he's he's just now he's just psychotic. He's just plain psychotic, and it's building and building and building. So the scene where he's uh, dressing, he's being dressed, or a new outfit being crafted here. We're getting ready for uh, some of the you know the events, the, the wedding to Marjorie on the way, all those kind of things. Um, and and this big thing with Joffrey, that's a big theme. We all know he's faking it. He's trying to fake till he makes it, but he just wants to tell everyone that he's the king. And he even says it to his mom here. He's upset. The the um, the uh, uh, clothes uh, maker it brings in a wrong print, and it, it's more rose-like, which Cersei points out. You kind of look like a Tyrell. And Joffrey's upset with that. I'm the king, he says. I'm the king. But who is he really? Well, he's a scared, angry boy. This we know. This we know. Uh, and uh, he's, he's putting up this face, and, and, and now he feels when the clothes come back, great moment of... That's better. That's better. This is who I really am, the king, and this looks like who I really am. He needs everything around him to go uh, go in a direction that can, he makes it easier for him to convince himself that he's the king, if, if uh, you follow my drift there. But what I love here, the little beats here with Cersei. Cersei is, is, uh, is losing this battle with Marjorie, losing the control over Joffrey, which is really about her power, right? Um, she's obsessed with Marjorie and, and is, is battling, Cersei's battling not necessarily Marjorie. She's battling the idea of who she really is right now to me. Uh, great little, uh, you know, little uh, exchange about the um, that fabric. Give it to Marjorie for her wedding gown. Should be enough fabric. Uh, I love the, uh, the stuff going on. The, the undercurrents with Marjorie and Cersei are great. But, but think about it here. Uh, it's... Um, Think about it. It, it, It's like uh, um, Cersei had all this power. She's lost it. She is the queen mother, which is, you know, not as uh, regal, not as powerful, not as important as the queen. Here's Marjorie, the queen. We know later on, season five, Maggie the Frog, played by the great Jody May from Last of the Mohicans. Uh, She's there, gives gives the... the, uh, the prophecy to, to young Cersei that haunts her in season five, but that's still haunting Cersei now. That's absolutely what's here. So this question, this theme, this idea of who who are you really? And Cersei fears that she is becoming this uh, this queen mother and not the queen. And fear, I mean, it, it, it's fact in terms of title, but she's losing that power. She's losing the fight of of who she is uh, to to others and 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 who she feels she can be, by the way, which which is important to Cersei to me. She is battling patriarchy. She's battling her own father. She's battling society. The show asks us to ask ourselves a lot of questions about how we treat uh, the women in our society, but more importantly, the women in power, the women with potential power. Uh, Cersei runs up against it all the time. I think Cersei is right. When she tells her father, I'm the one. You got the you got the drunk, you got the the dumb brother, I'm the one that listened. And she makes some mistakes along the way. Again, jumping to season five because it's panic. She's got that 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 vision, that prophecy from Meg the Frog in her head all the time. 
And I think now it's when, when it's, it's kicking in, right? Now it's starting. Sansa wasn't a threat. Sansa and Joffrey being married, Sansa being the queen, that was nothing for Cersei. She's got her, go back to season one, she's controlling Sansa, she's intimidating Sansa, and I believe uh, she's still got that power over Sansa right now. But here comes Marjorie, and Marjorie's absolutely not playing the game. Look at what Marjorie's putting up there in uh, season one, uh, excuse me, season three, episode one. She, this is, that, that's where Marjorie goes and visits the, the orphans and, and the poor, and she's out there and, and, and getting love and praise from people, the, the kind of love and praise that Joffrey really wants from his kingdom. Because, again, I'm the king. How come people don't like me? I'm hiding away. I'm afraid. And here's Marjorie just running around the town, and people love her. And, 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 and Cersei sees that going away. This is not Sansa. This is a, a formidable opponent that is going to really, really challenge Cersei to face this idea of who she really is. Not who she wants to be, but who she really is in this moment. And I, that's why I love this little scene. It is small, but I think, again, Vanessa Taylor and the writing really hits a lot of points to it. Uh, and, and right now in this moment, Cersei wants power. She wants the kingdom. And she feels if she can get this kingdom queendom, whatever you want to call it, if she can get the land, if she can be in control, if she can have the power, if she can prove to the world what she really believes about herself, I could do this better than anyone else. She's got some problems. She's got some wrong views on how to do it. There's a lot going on with Cersei. But if she gets it, if I get the kingdom, that's all I want. That's all I want. Go to season eight where that kingdom, that very kingdom comes collapsing down on her. She pursued perhaps the wrong thing. A tragic character. Villain for sure. A tragic character. And uh, that's why I love this little scene, man. I love digging into this kind of stuff. All right. Well, I'm going to pause for just a second here on the podcast version. If you're watching me on YouTube, guess what? You're going to take a little break as well. I got to catch my breath. You're listening to Casually Talk. Coming right back, coming right back. We're continuing to look at Season 3, Episode 2, Dark Wings, Dark Words. And from Cersei, we are going on to a great little exchange between Shay and Sansa. Uh, we have got Sansa uh, is, is uh, she's without people she can trust. We know this. She often feels alone in this strange land, King's Landing. There's been something that's going on for a while. She's learning who she really is. And it's fascinating to see this stuff, to see where uh, see where Sansa ends up by season seven and, 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 and where she ends up at the very end of it all. This makes season three that much more interesting to me about Sansa and what she's faced with and the questions she's asked and the allies she's surrounding herself with and, and where she is right now. And she's scared. She has every, every right to be scared. She is truly on her own, even when she thinks she has allies. And this great little scene with Sansa is, um, is 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 Shay kind of helping to deliver the truth? And again, this question of who are you really, who you really are, it's sometimes again about, hey, I am um I, I'm a queen mother, but I want to be the queen. I am uh I'm a woman, but I want to be a knight. I'm a knight, but I just want to be with my sister. Those all those kind of things. Some of which might represent growth. But it's also valuable. Go think of uh, Tyrion in season one, 
episode one, the pilot, telling John to wear who you are as an armor, right? You're a bastard. Wear it. Own it and, and, and build from there. And no one can hurt you with it. I think it's valuable to know who your value, know who you really are on that side of it too. Not who you just want to be and who are you really deep down inside. You might be acting like uh, the king, but uh, deep down inside you're this. And you have to face that sometimes. And Sansa's starting to face that here. I, that's why I, this isn't a throwaway scene to me at all here. This, uh, this is Shay proving, hey, I'll protect you. You have a friend. You have an ally for what it's worth there. And yeah, we know Shay later on does some things maybe we all don't agree with. But again, some of it was circumstance. Some of it was what society, uh, the pressures she was putting her on or those conversations to have when we get to the, those moments in other shows. But Sansa is learning this idea of who she really is to the society. Uh, she is a woman with prestige, a young woman with prestige. So that makes her both a pawn and an object for those around her. Uh, she's not in control. Um, she's absolutely not in control. And, and it's it's a f- funny, darkly funny line, I'll say. Um, uh, it, it's It's kind of one of those, you know, you can laugh and roll your eyes a little bit when she is talking about Baelish, who at this point she might, he, I think he wants to help me, right? He helped my mom. I, th- I don't know all, you know, I don't know all the things he did. So she says that line, uh, Shay's kind of basically saying, well, yeah, yeah, be careful what Baelish is actually looking for. Uh, ooh, Sansa says, ooh, he's too old. Shay says they never see it that way. It's, it's a funny line. It's also a, a very poignant line to our own society and, and, and all those things. Vanessa Taylor wrote a good line, a good exchange there, but uh, think of it in terms of Sansa. We can we can say, hey, you know, Sansa's kind of naive, and, and, and we can kind of, you know, chuckle a little bit about that. But what is she learning right now? She's learning who she really is to Baelish, an object. Uh, that object might be uh, uh, sexual desire, uh, which later on with Baelish, very clear. Uh, she doesn't see it. She doesn't see it. We can again. We could just say, "Ooh, naive little girl." But it, it's the whole thing. It's this: you're a pawn. You're who you are. Doesn't matter. Uh, you are not in control of your narrative. You are not in control of your destiny here as a young woman in this land. And what happens? What happens in this episode from this little moment? From this little moment with Shay and Sansa, and Shay knows the lay of the land for better or worse. Shay knows the lay of the land. So Sansa is here, going, I, I, "I'm not in control." I don't know who I am. I don't know my value, and I don't understand how I'm devalued by people. And who does she meet? Enter Diana Rigg, the Queen of Thorns. Alana Tyrell arrives. Great scene. Holy crap, the late Diana Rigg. Just every scene, every scene she's in throughout this show up until her, uh, for this moment up until her her death uh, in season seven, just absolutely owns every inch of the screen and every inch of the scene. I'm much less boring than these others, says the Queen of Thorns, and I don't think there's any more truer words that have been spoken. Sansa is rightfully scared, rightfully uh, distrustful of the Tyrells at this moment. But she needs allies, whether she knows, knows it or not, and I think she knows it. That's part of the plot going on here. Um, but this is a pretty powerful scene as well because for me, going on with this big idea presented in the show, Sansa doesn't really know who she is and she just met the one person who's absolutely sure of who she is, the Queen of Thrones, the, uh, Queen, Queen of Thorns, who should be maybe the King of Thrones. Uh, the King of Thorns knows who she is and guess what? 
She wants to know who Joffrey really is. They can all kind of suspect it, but they really want to know. And we're, we get that from Sansa in this episode. We absolutely get it. Sansa uh, comes clean with it. Uh, she's afraid. Marjorie's there to help. They gain her trust. And that's when Sansa says what is true. After she tries to put up, she tries to, to put up that brave face. Oh, no, my, my father was a traitor. My brother's a traitor. I have traitor's blood. She's terrified. She's scared, grandmother. They get her trust, and she says who Joffrey really is. He's a monster. Now, we know that. It's not a surprise to us. Even if, even if you're watching season three for the first time, you already got the idea that Joffrey's a monster. But in this world and in this land, a lot of people don't know this. There's the rumors, rumors about Jamie, but Jamie knows who really is. Uh, there's rumors and thoughts about Joffrey, but no one really knows who, who he is. Sansa does. And the Queen of Thorns wants to know, and, and they get their answer. And what's her <laughs> response? Oh, that's a pity. The uh, plan is in place. The plan has begun, I believe. I think uh, Olena Tyrell is starting to think of how to get rid of this horrible, horrible monster. And I love, too, you're looking at the seed here. There's so much at play. The way she just uh, talks about Loras, not not too bad about Loras, but uh, Mace Tyrell, uh, her own uh, late husband, uh, was it Luther Tyrell, uh, just oafs. Uh, just disparage him, and, and, and things are different down there uh, in the House Tyrell in High Garden. Uh, the women are definitely in control because they know who they are, and the Queen of Thorns, it, it just shines through every moment. And then there you can see how it translates to Marjorie, who's someone who's uh, pretty damn sure who she is and, and who she wants to be. She wants to be the Queen. Only a mother can make them is the next kind of scene and sequence that goes back to this big theme. This is some of the most powerful Catelyn stuff in this season. Catelyn, Catelyn Stark, things have not been going great for Catelyn. She's made some mistakes. I've said in the past, and if you're relatively new, I have uh, in the past, and I mean, I mean going back 10, 9, 10, 8, 7 years, whatever, you know, how long, I know 10 years for the show overall, but so what this would be about Seven, eight years now, which is crazy to think, right? I've always been a little hard on Catelyn Stark. I'm less now these days. And this is one of the scenes that I can point to and say, hey, I got it wrong. She makes some mistakes. She absolutely capturing uh, uh, Tyrion, taking uh, Tyrion hostage. Big mistake. Letting Jamie out. Eh, potentially big mistake. But she does this all because she knows deep down who she really is. She's a mother. There's some great stuff uh, from D.B. Weiss on the after the episode stuff. I always encourage you all to catch those. You can get some wonderful insights. D.B. Weiss talking about, yeah, we, we get, and I'm paraphrasing as, as I always do, but we get in this land, uh, houses, family, legacy. Those, those are things of great value. Those are things to believe in. Those are things to uh, build your own identity on and off of. But Catelyn's not really about that. We are about to return to House Tully. She's going to go face who she really is or who she really was and face her past. She hasn't seen her father for, for a long time, Hoster Tully. Uh, and that's kind of how it works anyways. Not surprised. Is she a Tully? Is she a Stark? Her loyalty is to her direct blood, her family. That's who she really is. She is a mother. It's the stuff D.B. Weiss was talking about. You really see it at play here. And the powerful stuff, Talisa trying. It's a mother-in-law Wife and mother-in-law situation here. Talisa's trying to to uh, 
reach out. Catelyn Stark is is making the uh, seven pointed star there. Bran, uh, you know, uh, she they get the word that uh, that Bran and and Rickon probably uh, dead at the hands of the Boltons, or at least the Boltons found them there. Right? We were still. Um, we're still uh, thinking it's Theon at this point, of course. Uh, and it's it's interesting to me because Catelyn's at, at war with herself over it. There's some haunting stuff going on in her mind because uh, we've we've got her. She's She, she says it. She's a mother, and, and, and that's what she tells. This whole conversation kind of starts with her. Talisa saying, can I help? And Catelyn says, you can't. Little, little uh, brusquely, but then says, Look, "Only a mother can make them." That's who she is, and she goes into this heartbreaking story of baby John, John Snow being sick, uh, and how she she kind of cursed him to death. He gets smallpox, and he might die. That's the last time she had kind of made one of these, and um, she prays uh, prays to the gods, uh, you know, uh, vows to Ned, like I will, I will treat him as my own, my own blood. My own blood, I'll do that. And she herself says, and I couldn't keep my promise. And everything that's happened since then, all this horror that's come to my family, not House Tully, not House Stark, but to her family, that group around her, the children, her husband, that family, it's all because I couldn't love a motherless child. Catelyn knows who she really is. She's the mother of this unit. And everything she's done and everything she will do and we only got a season left it is 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 under that banner that's her banner motherhood and it's pretty powerful and it's pretty sad um and it makes me and this is the part of the show this is when i was watching i started going back and looking at season one particularly season one catlin it was just so easy to Write it off. And easy, and I'll say easy, easy for me as a man to write it off. Uh, Catelyn, cra- crazy Catelyn. Make, uh, making tactical errors. Going after Tyrion. And, I, and in many ways, she was one of the only ones willing to really do something for her family. And sometimes that's what you got to do. You got to know who you really are and, and take action based off of that. But what haunts her is the one thing she couldn't do because it kind of butted up against who she really is. I am a mother of these children, and I am not a mother of this this bastard son because I couldn't do that. I couldn't go beyond my walls. I couldn't perhaps grow. I'm thinking of Brienne as she starts to get a lay of the land. I think Arya and Sansa as they really start to get a lay of the land as the show goes on in painful, tragically painful lessons of not adapting, not growing, that stuff later on. I'm glad they don't, uh, in season seven, I think it is, they have that conversation, Santanaria, about father, the wonderful Ned Stark, who maybe protected them a little too much and didn't give them the actual lay of the land and didn't actually kind of uh, set them up for uh, all the success in this crazy, brutal world. I don't think, uh, I think it would have been fully appropriate to attack Catelyn over that, but if Catelyn had been able to grow and adjust, maybe, maybe things would have been better. But it's also her being tremendously harsh on herself. Uh, We all must learn. We all must make mistakes and we all must forgive. And perhaps in this moment, uh, self-forgiveness is something that will not come to Catelyn. It's some powerful stuff, great stuff. Again, I go back to myself. I'm saying this to myself. Don't sleep on this episode. And as we roll forward in season three, maybe I will change my view of season three. Who am I? Someone who values th- season three more than I think in my head at this point in time here. 
Uh, we go uh, from this great conversation. She's talking about she couldn't love a motherless child. That motherless child is Jon Snow. We go to a little moment. We've got some great stuff. We met Mance uh, Raider last time out. And Tormund Giantsbane, we're spending more time up there. We only get a little bit up there. But I love this scene because season three, episode one, Valor Morghulis, all men, uh, all men must, uh, uh, excuse me, that was uh, Valor Doharis. Ooh, let me get that right. Oh, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, let me let me get that right. You don't want to mess that up. Valor Morghulis was season two, episode 10. Season three, episode one is Valor Doharis, all men must serve. And John is wrestling with that. John wants to be a hero, all those kind of... Uh, all those kind of things, and Mance is really Mance is the one. Season three, episode one. Mance Raider is really the one that sets John out on what I think is his new path. Now, Egret is there along the way to really change his worldview, to really spin John's kind of upbringing on its head, just on who you think are the villains and who you think are the heroes and where where you fit into all that here. But I love the stuff with Mance. It's powerful. Mance and John, even though they get far too few moments in this show. This conversation about Mance, you know what it, do you know what it takes to unite 90 clans? Mance is all about who you really are. This is why it's powerful that he gives John the, oh, you want to be a hero. That's what you want. But what do you really need? That's season three, episode one. Here, it's about who you really are. He's a man trying to get everyone to safety. King beyond the wall, great, whatever. Don't bow in front of me, bow in front of me. That's not who I really am. I mean, I think Mance enjoys the power. Probably has a couple nights where he's like, yeah, it's good to be the king. But that's not who Mance really is. Whereas Joffrey is over here in this episode. This is this doesn't make me look like a king. I'm not a king. Come on. Mance is like, whatever. Whatever. I'm just a man who tried to get everyone to safety because we need to work together. We need to keep everyone protected, keep everyone healthy, keep everyone alive. Only Mance could teach us here in the real world. So this conversation, though small, is pretty powerful to me. I told them, told them we're all going to die if we don't get south because that's the truth. Jon Snow is going to be someone that's connected to the um, base level, bare bottom, but also title, topic, sentence, thesis statement, truth all through his uh, career, if you will, but all through the show. He, he's learning, I want to be the hero. That really isn't who, that's really not what I need to be. And who I really am is now in question. And I need to be about other people. I need to be about survival. I need to be about protection. I need to be about doing what is right. Because that's the truth. There's truths in these lands. Think of Jon Snow, season seven. I won't bend the knee. I don't want to serve. I, we all forget all this. We got to go north and save the land. He's not concerned with what's going on around the thrones. He, he's here for the people. How could he? How could he unite seven kingdoms? He tried to unite seven kingdoms. It's almost like this speech. You, you can hear it in John's soul as he tries to tell everyone. It's like he wants to have this conversation later on with someone else. You know what it, you know what, uh, you know what it took to unite seven kingdoms? I told them we're all going to die if we don't work together. 
because that was the truth. I think John, this feels John going forward. It's a tiny scene. I love it so much. Um, and John is, at this moment, he's, he's struggling with who he really is, right? These changes aren't immediate. He spent his whole life being told, you go to the wall, the Night's Watch protects us from the, uh, the nasty wildlings north of the wall. And he's starting to have that change. He's starting to, his worldview is changing. It's slow. But he's struggling with who he really is and what the world really is. And I love that Egret loves pointing this out. It's, it's like her only line in the show. But Rose Leslie nails it in this episode. She points out uh, the big picture to him. That, that she's always there for John in the big picture. The true picture, perhaps. And I, it all boils down to the, uh, with uh, uh, the warg, the warg scene with Mackenzie um, Crook. Uh, you've, oh, you've never met a warg? Like, it's really like s- s- playground, like seventh grade, sixth grade elementary school kind of tension between them, right? Oh, you've never really met a warg. But really what, what Egret says is, yeah, you still, you, 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 you haven't even begun to touch this world. You don't really know what this world really is. So love that stuff there. Uh, we go to a pretty important and powerful scene. This is a little bit of foreshadowing. We love discussing some of the foreshadowing here on Casually Talk about things that are forthcoming here. But I don't want to run, run super long today here. But uh, Sam is confronted with who he really is on the surface. There's things going beyond uh, deeper, of course. There always is. But he is, uh, I think, again, of that Tyrion and John scene in the pilot. Of uh, you know where where what you really are as as a shield. Sam is confronted with what he is. You're fat and you're slow. Ed says to him because he confronts them as he falls to his knees. He's crying. He knows he failed in this battle up at the uh, fist, and he is wearing the cloak of a of a brother of a Night's Watch, but he doesn't feel that. He, he's not really that. He doesn't think in this moment. And he falls to his knees. He just wants to die. He just wants to give up. And Ed, it's a funny beat, but it's cold. It's harsh. You, you know, Sam says, you left me. And Ed says, yeah. Me and Gran left you because you're fat and you're slow. And we would have died. So that's something f- Sam has to face. Now, without the... The weight shaming, take that aside. But, but in that moment, he's, it's, it's a hard truth, perhaps. I don't want to say it just this show deals with hard truths a lot. But again, go with me here. It's this idea of like, yeah, I, I am a threat. I am a danger. I would have held them back. I am slow. If he wants, if he wants to say he's fat, fine. I'm not going to be the one to yell that at him. But these are these truths. It's who he really is. But it's Jor Mormont. Jor Mormont comes to him in this moment that has a lot of foreshadowing for uh, later on in season seven with Jorah, of course. Jor Mormont, the Lord Commander, keeps him uh, going. It's a great line, Tarly, I forbid you to die. But I've always interpreted this moment as Sam is on his knees crying. He's being faced with this, you're fat, you're slow, you're useless. You would have got us killed so we left you to die. And Jor Mormont is saying, Mormont's saying, no, you are a brother. That's who you really are. However you got here, and whoever you were before, you're here now. 
And this is even with a mess up that probably endangered all their lives. Those birds get out. Those, those ravens get out. And maybe word gets at least to the wall. And maybe the hundred or so brothers here survive. Maybe your moment survives. Maybe you can speak to someone. Maybe you can convince someone. Maybe the whole story changes. And there's a lot of moment along the way in Game of Thrones where you can say, if this happens, this doesn't happen, or vice versa. So all that stuff's in play for Jorah Mormont, and he knows it. He knows what Sam did. He knows, he knows what Sam really is, but he needs, or what he thinks he is, but Jorah Mormont needs Sam to see him as what he really is, a brother. You belong here. Stand up. Tarly, I forbid you to die. It's not just a simple and cool statement. It is... It is a... Dare I say a goal for Sam to reach? But it is the first time really in my mind, other than some Jon Snow stuff I I get, but it is the first time that someone just directly, boom, grabs Sam up and says, no, I know you think you're this, but who you really are is this. Be this. And it's not just a brother, a macho hero of the land. No, it's someone who took a vow. It's someone who's strong. It's someone who's going to survive. It's someone who's going to stay alive and protect others. The Gilly stuff's forthcoming. The killing the White Walkers forthcoming. The big decisions that Sam's going to make are still forthcoming. And there's going to be steps back, of course, that's reality. But I go back to this moment as we look at Sam's story as it goes on, and I think this is the key moment. Tarly, I forbid you to die, is Dior Mormont saying you belong here. I see you as what you really are deep down. Your brother. Your brother and I's watch. You belong here. Love that scene. We uh, get to meet back-to-back, uh, you know, two uh, groups here. The Reeds, Jojen and Mira. We saw Jojen up top. We meet Mira. Great scene. I love that. I love the, uh, I love the Osha Mira stuff that's about to uh, start to play out here. But they know who Bran really is, right? They're here with the information. We don't know all the information yet. In fact, quite frankly, I don't know if we get the information until, uh, until way later on in the show. Uh, Jojen's talking about his own dreams, and in the books, uh, not to make that direct comparison, of course, but in the books, Jojen has a lot more in terms of uh, visions. The the um, Winterfell vision of the Greyjoys coming is more Jojen's vision. If some of the some of the details escape me now at these points, but a little different. But this is again why the show, what the show, the show has to use these characters a little differently. And it's fun to be like, hey, there, those are the kids of Howlin' Reed. Do you know who Howlin' Reed is? Let me tell you, Howlin' Reed is, da, 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 and, and I have a theory about Howlin' Reed, da, 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 and we're going to see Howlin' Reed in the show, da, 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 and we're going to get an answer about Howlin' Reed, and maybe Howlin' Reed is the high sparrow. Boom, that's what you start to go in. A lot of us started to go into when, when the Reeds showed up here in the show, but they're, they're, they're a different purpose in the show. They have a different purpose, a different reason for being here, and it starts in, the, in this moment, in these opening scenes with them here. Jojen is talking about the dreams and the visions and saying, yeah, we shared it. I know who you are, blah, blah, blah. And Bran asks, what did you see? And Jojen says, the one thing that matters, you. It's this little crippled kid that we don't know, we don't quite understand where he fits in the story. And I'm not just talking about him being the king, but we know that in season eight, a lot of his great purpose is revealed. And the end of uh, season uh, four, a lot of his great purpose is revealed. Um, is it four or five? What, what year did they miss? Six? I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember. Um, yeah, five they missed, right? So, yeah, that's all forthcoming, man. But who Bran really is... 
we're really faced with it right here. There's something bigger, something more important. And that's why I, 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 some of the brand stuff, I get some of the critiques of um, brands training. Like, I completely understand why they cut him out of season five. It, it might have been repetitive, might have been boring. What do you do with the character? I think it was one of the bravest decisions on the show. We're, don't worry. We got we to skip these characters. You love them. You love Hodor. Maybe you don't love all the brand stuff, but don't worry. And I think it was a good decision. Um, but I, too, can say some of the brand stuff doesn't always hit with me. Not the decisions of the show, not the plot of the show, but just some of the moments, even in the books. Uh, it's one of those chapters you kind of get to, like, oh, yeah, he's going to be in that cave again. But uh, right here, we're faced with who Bran really is. We just all, like Bran, didn't know it yet. We, from there, get to go uh, meet the Brotherhood uh, without banners. We heard a lot about them in Season 2. We finally get them here. Love this stuff here. We, at the end of the show, always talk about stars of the episode, so we'll come back to this here. And the Brotherhood without banners show up. They're singing, and they're asking who Arya really is. Now we get to see Arya here. Uh, Gendry, hot pie there as well. What's lurking behind that wall? A lion? A wolf? And they have some... Uh, Fun but important questions, and we get to see them here in a bit. Uh, we go into uh, the scene of scenes in this episode. Uh, Marjorie and Joffrey. Marjorie knows what she wants to be, the queen. She knows how to get it. She knows who she really is. We've seen her, uh, especially in, in season three, episode one, how to play Joffrey a little bit. How to get the praise going, right? We know that's at play. We know that's affecting Cersei. But what I love about this scene, she goes to Joffrey's chambers. He's got his new weapon, his new crossbow, uh, some tragic foreshadowing in the scene for Roz as well. But now you see a bit of a change in, in Marjorie. This is a bit of a risk. Why? Because she has the most valuable weapon uh, in her disposal, knowledge, and knowledge of who Joffrey is. She now really knows they suspected before, but now she really knows who Joffrey is. He is a monster, and she is going to directly go to that monster and try to, um, well, not confront him, but work her magic. Uh, she is a player. She's a genius here. Natalie Dormer, brilliant scene. Jack Gleason, brilliant stuff here. Uh, it is uh, now no longer just about wresting power away from Cersei. Um taking control, being the queen. Now it's like, I know that this is a psychotic potential killing. That it is killer, I should say. This is someone who's potentially tremendously unhinged. Uh, how do I combat that? How do I control that? Let me go right to it. Let me, let me give him some control of the situation. He could easily put this bolt right through my heart if I say the wrong thing. But she appeals to it. She appeals to, yeah, teach me how to fire. Do you want to see me kill? Because he asks her, do you think you could kill? Um, and that final shot in the mirror, um, it's, it's just tantalizing. It's tantalizing to watch Marjorie just play, play this scene, play Joffrey, and it, it, it's also... Joffrey, in a, in a weird way, a little bit of a self-discovery. It's the first time maybe we're seeing, we, again, we know he's bad. He's done nothing good so far in the show. But in this moment, yeah, yeah, he's gazing off in the distance. Yeah, I'd like to see you kill. That's what I like to do. 
Dark stuff, but great stuff. Love that scene. Love that scene there. Uh, then we got two big beats to end the show when we're dealing with this big idea. Uh, we have got the Brotherhood at the um, uh, in there, the end of the crossroads, and uh, everyone, everyone is learning who Arya really is. Love the little moment with the Hound. Um, uh, the mask comes off, and what are you doing with the Stark bitch? Great shot. You got Thoros. You got the Hound. Boop, they turn, and Arya's face is staring back at him. And now this is an example here of uh, who you really are in terms of name can absolutely be used against you. Great tension, great cliffhanger for this one. And then perhaps the greatest one comes along next here. We've got the uh, moment with Brienne and Jamie crossing the bridge. Jamie learning who Br- Brienne really is. Uh, presenting these cho- all along the way, he's given her choices. Go in the water. Go on the bridge. This happens. This happens. What are you going to choose? J- J- Jamie's testing Brienne all along the way, uh, but she starts to find out who she really is as a fighter and who Jamie really is right now. He's a tired, broken man. And then uh, Brienne is starting to learn pretty quick the choices. She makes often ones based in honor can go wrong and not taking care of that farmer, not killing him, perhaps not uh, conking him on the head. But I think Jamie wanted to kill him uh, is now um, now a problem. And who Jamie really is in terms of name now has them in trouble. And it forever alters their path. Locke has shown up. The flayed man of House Bolton is here, and it's not going to go well. Who you really are, it can help you, it can hurt you, and it's important to know the answer to that question. Uh, favorite moments and foreshadowing there. Uh, we talked a lot about uh, the, the brand and who he really is because the Raven is you. I love the little side thing. Got a lot of stuff with Rob. Great stuff with uh, Lord Karstark. But Lord, uh, when they leave Harrenhal, Lord, Bort, Bol- uh, Lord uh, Bolton will garrison at Harrenhal. Bolton's getting more power. He's getting more trust. We see what's going to happen with that. Uh, Lord Karstark saying, I think you lost this war the day you married her. It's not nice. But it's true. We got the red wedding coming our way. And I talked about the Tarly, I forbid you to die. Do you hear me line? Uh, which, uh, you know, if you're a Jorah fan like myself, absolutely has meaning later on in that uh, stuff there. Uh, great moments and scenes along the way. We talked about them uh, there. I, I think the Queen of Thorns arriving is just, uh, is, is, it's, this is why, just that's number one reason alone why this episode shouldn't be uh, tossed aside. Uh, and, uh, uh one of the uh, quotes I love um, is uh, from Jojen Reed as well as uh, in talking to him. We've come a long way to find you, Brandon, and we have a long way to go. I just like the, uh, the delivery of that line uh, and uh, just, again, what it means, some foreshadowing as, as well. Uh, but uh, it's, it's just, I don't know, sometimes this little Game of Thrones line. Tom, Thomas Brody Sangster uh, delivers that wonderfully well. That's right, the... Love Actually Kid, he's all grown up. Episode stars, you could pick a ton. Natalie Dormer, Jack Gleason, every episode you could just roll call every actor in the show. But I think we absolutely have to shout out uh, two. And that for me is uh, is uh, we got uh, Diana Rigg. I mean, Diana Rigg is, it just knocks us absolutely all over here, right? Uh, this is just, she shows up. Um, I knew Diana Rigg. I mean, it depends on where what your age group are, what generation you kind of discovered pop culture at. 
Diana Rigg might be, uh, you know, uh, what an Avengers, uh, Avengers, uh, uh, Bond girl. For me, she was uh, uh, the great Muppet caper. I mean, Lady Holiday, right? Yeah, that, that was Diana Rigg to me. <laughs> so uh, she shows up here. Queen of Thorns, something amazing. Every scene, truly every scene, just uh, eats it up and uh, teaches a lesson for us all. But I also want to shout out Paul K as Thoris of Mir. I, th- I, I think the Brotherhood is great, but I, I think just Paul K, uh, just something just warm, friendly. friendly. You want to hang out with him? Maybe it's just you want to hang out with Thoris. It seems like Thoris loves hanging out and sharing a drink. There's just something so just immediately intriguing about Thoros Amir as portrayed by Paul Kay. And it's a character, especially if you if you had read the books, it's a character you, you kind of heard about, you know a little bit of history. You hear a little bit uh, with uh, 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 Thoros uh, with his flaming sword and his flaming sword going through the breach at Pike and the Greyjoy Rebellion. So to finally see him, it's one of those moments where I think Paul Kay uh, just delivered uh, uh, maybe even beyond what was on the page or what, what should have been there. And I'm glad he came back, sad when he died, uh, but I, I love Thoros Amir as portrayed by Paul Kay. So there you go. That's what we got. That is our look at all of Season 3, Episode 2. This is what we love doing here, diving into the themes, diving into the ideas presented. If, if you like that a little bit more than that word theme, uh, again, looking at you, Benioff. But uh, I love uh, loved engaging with the show on this level because it, it can take you to what's uh, forthcoming and connect with things later on in the show and definitely is building off of what came before. Next up is Walk of Punishment. That's right, Walk of Punishment. It is uh, episode 23 overall of the show, uh, but uh, we uh, are going to uh, dive on in here. Also, as I'm recording this uh, live on air, I uh, do love uh, connecting with all of you on Twitter here. So if you, uh, let me see if I can... Uh, Get this up here. Yes, there we go. Uh, we got some questions here on the hashtag Casterly Talk. Going to start finding a way to get some phone calls back into the show here. Uh, we got a uh, question not related to this episode from our good friend Eric Monroe, who was a regular contributor to the Daily Thrones and early Casterly Talk days. He asked this on Twitter using that hashtag Casterly Talk. Since the High Towers will be featured on the House of the Dragon, we did see one on Game of Thrones, the Kingsguard soldier that was with the Sword of the Morning, the Tower of Joy, in Bran's vision was the knight from the House Hightower known as the White Bull. Yes, true. So maybe more of a statement than a question from Eric there. Uh, but yeah, to looking, getting ready for House of the Dragon. This is one of the things I'm looking forward to with this show, setting another time, uh, but exploring other parts of the world and these other houses. The Hightowers, it's a very important house in the history of Game of Thrones, and I can't wait to look uh, look forward to I can't wait to to learning more about those big houses there. So yes, maybe we'll get a little bit more of the family uh, connected to the man known as White Bull. All right, that's it for now. A lot of fun. You can find me on Twitter at Ken Knapsack. You can listen to this podcast in a lot of different spots. And don't forget to check out the GPA at the GPA.fun. If you want some cool merch to represent GPA, you can go there like this Good People Association hat. Uh, tell your friends about the show and all the podcasts we got going on. We have the Good People Association main feed. We got the Afternoons with Josh, Ken, Amanda, and here, Casually Talk, all on Blue Wire Podcasts. All right, my friends, that is it. We'll see you next time here on Casterly Talk. <laughs>